0: Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome back to Altitude Accelerator, Tech Uncensored, live on LinkedIn. Can't believe another week has gone by so fast. But today, we've got a great, great panel for you and a great topic, and it's electric vehicle infrastructure market. Where are the gaps? Where are the opportunities? So I'm going to start right away and introduce our guest panel. Yeah. First, I've got uh, Carmine Pizzouro, who is the uh, co-founder and president of uh, eCamion. I've got Patrick Marion, the VAS Vice President of Product Development at Inmotive. Arthur Kong, who is the project development at NGENCAD. Welcome everyone. Hi, Sam. Glad to be here. So why don't I start off and you guys can uh, just give us a brief introduction
1: to your company and background. But go ahead, Arthur. Yeah, hi everybody. So as Sammy mentioned, I'm Arthur Kong, I'm the director of project development at NGEN. So at Engine Canada, we are a tree-led, not-for-profit entity that's supported by the federal government to essentially help enhance Canada's advanced manufacturing capabilities. And we do so by supporting the development, commercialization, and mm-hmm. deployment of advanced technologies across the many different manufacturing verticals that we have here in Canada. So we provide everything from like collaborative R&D funding to support for technology adoption for our small to medium-sized manufacturers, as well as workforce development programs as well. So... Excited to be here together with my industry friends to talk about how to continue enhancing our EV market. And Carmine.
2: Hello, Carmine Pizarro. as Sam said, I was one of the co-founders of eCamion. We build fast charge or ultra fast charge EV charging stations that are energy storage based or lithium battery based. And uh, along with that, we built energy storage systems for uh, grid support. Glad to be here. Thank you. You know, Patrick?
3: Yeah, so here at Emotive, we are developing the world's most efficient multi-speed transmission for electric vehicles. So essentially increasing range on EVs, but we can be applied to any motor and reduce energy usage. We're just focused on EVs today. Glad to get going.
0: Okay, fantastic. The first thing I think I want to get into is really what the challenges, the hurdles with the supply chain logistics, and maybe even from a personal perspective, right? Because one of the things I'm finding, in fact, my sister bought a car, a hybrid, from the time she bought it, to the time she got it, it was eight months. And my neighbor has just bought an EV car, and he hasn't got it. It's been six months, and they're hoping they're going to get it before next year's models come out. So why don't we uh, start with what you see, Arthur, in the market?
1: That's a very good question. And I think from a supply chain perspective, here at Engine, we always encourage looking at this from a full of kind of value chain perspective to better understand where the gaps and where the opportunities are. And I think, especially when you were talking about this shift to electrification and thinking about supply chains and also from not only from like a consumer kind of purchasing perspective, but looking at all the way from initially when you extract the minerals. To processing the minerals all the way to the manufacturing of the uh, manufacturing of the batteries and the vehicles, I think it hinges upon our current suppliers here in Canada to shift their product lines away from internal combustion engine vehicles to electric vehicles. We conducted a study last year through our colleagues at Porsche Consulting and the Trillium Center for Advanced Manufacturing, and our findings suggest that there are certain kind of segments in this supply chain that are particularly at risk and that's notably our powertrain suppliers they currently here in canada employ more than twenty five thousand kind of people and generate approximately over 11 billion dollars in revenue so that's more than 30 percent of the total kind of power supplier revenue in the entire industry however only five percent of that 11 billion dollars is made up of electric vehicle powertrain suppliers like my friends here at ekeban and in and, and Motive right i think over 95% of the industry still caters to internal combustion engine vehicles. If players don't take action to expand their product portfolios, they can certainly expect a, a proportional drop in revenue to the increase in share of battery electric vehicles. So there's certainly an urgent need for us to start helping these suppliers transition. What are the opportunities, right? I think that's really the question. And And if you break out the current footprint of the battery electric vehicle value chain We see some activity across, for instance, in the mining sector from in terms of mineral extraction mm-hmm. and uh, mineral processing, a lot of great companies in the electric vehicle power chain components, such as our friends at Inmotive and Ekema and, and, and Transmission and high voltage batteries. But there's not a whole lot of activity, right? I think there could be, there needs to be investment and innovation gaps need to be filled For instance, with the high voltage battery, it it makes up over 75%, I'm sure Parman will talk more about this later, 75% of the total electric vehicle of the value. So needless to say the high value component, it's a dominant component. How can we utilize our kind of resources to help become a leader in the development and manufacturing of those? We want to talk about leveraging Canada's critical minerals, right? How do we bring value add to those critical minerals? There are certainly gaps that need to be filled in order to make that happen, right? And it, I talk about this on and on, but it's certainly, there needs to be more to be done to enhance or help us scale and scale up our startups and the innovation that's coming out of our, our research labs and startups.
0: With that, I'm going to go to Carmine then, because I think Carmine's going to say, well, we need more funding. We always need more funding, but talk, talk about funding.
2: And Arthur brings up a thing. It's very important. and I'll put in 30 seconds here about our minerals. We have a tremendous amount of minerals in Northern Ontario. We actually have all the minerals we need to build batteries. The problem is not a lot of people know about this, but we don't refine them. And we need money. And it takes a lot of money to actually refine. I'm not a mining person, but it takes a lot of money. So I think the government's working on that. I've worked with people in the US as well. Cause they're interested and they want us to stop selling our mines to foreign companies It's just about, I think I sent the article to you, Sam, about in the U S it's a national security issue with batteries. Anyway, to go back to your original question about supply chain, we've been pretty lucky because at the start of e we really, and this was 10 years ago before this global problem and pandemic, we tried to, we tried to source everything from North America. Second choice was Europe and then third choice was Asia. So that's just the way I wanted to run the company. I got a lot of pushback back then from people like accountants, like my partner saying, why are you doing that? It's more expensive. I said, that's just the way I want to do things. And it's actually helped. We have, we've been actually pretty lucky with our supply chain. So what I would recommend to young companies about supply chain is because we're going to get out of it right soon. We're going to get out of it and it's better all the time. We haven't had that many problems, but want to suggest one very important thing. You got to have a partnership with your supply chain, with your supplier and go visit them, talk to them, become their buddies. I can't name the supplier, but there's one supplier that I'm working with that supplies OEMs, big OEMs like GM and Ford yeah. and Chrysler. And because of our friendship, I get my stuff first and then they get theirs. And they're, yeah, so that really helps. Okay. Now. Not only helped so far, because it did happen to one of our suppliers where we were buying cells from Mich- Midland, Michigan off a company called Exalt. And they got a big order from New Flyer, which is a bus manufacturer. So a lot of our cells yeah. went there. And I don't know, just overnight, they forgot my name and company that we've been dealing with. So we got forgotten. We got tossed out and baby and bathwater, everything. We got tossed out and said, and they forgot our name. So it does work for some people. And for some supplier, it doesn't work, but it's that personal relationship is very important. And anyway, th- as far as other supply chain issues, the other issue that we had was, this was about a year ago and all the ports were clogged up. And we had of all first choice, second choice, third choice, my third choice, I had to go to Asia and this is what happened. So it goes to show you that then the forest fires hurt us as well. Okay. Uh, at the same time, there's forest fire. This is last, I guess it was last year, yeah. about 21, where there was a forest fire. So that, that hurt us. So even forest fire will hurt you. So what did we learn? Uh, we're going to come through, uh, Montreal if we ever have to do it again. So you have to be like very flexible.
0: So, I mean, are your supply chains still here or are you getting, now you have to go overseas for it? No,
2: everything is basically here. And in uh, right now we do okay. have small number, some of the parts that we buy from Europe, for example. Have components made in Asia. So I can't control that, but at least I can control the ones coming from Europe. Most of our suppliers are either from the US, Canada, or Germany okay. in supply chain.
0: So, and then, I mean, again, you're still having issues with getting everything, right?
2: Yeah, there's a bit of issue, but I, it's not hurting us really. It's not like when you buy a car, they mm-hmm. say eight months away. We're not that bad. Okay. It's a couple months late, like it, You, but it could have been like that before. So right now we're, it's getting better, and there's just a few parts that are causing us.
0: One part can cause you a problem, right? But as you scale, will that get? Will that be a problem, or it'll continue to stay at the level that you're at now? Because you're scaling, right? Yeah. The
2: scale as we scale up, the problems should be better. The reason why I'm saying that is when we got kicked out of Exalt because we didn't buy enough. The moment you start buying enough, all of a sudden you're their best friend, right? Oh, okay, yeah. so, of course. Yeah. Everything is volume. Like I come from the automotive industry. Everything is volume. So if you got volume, they'll be your best friend. They'll figure it out. Yeah. We just try to re- not rely on sea shipments. There is a container coming from Korea on some parts that we had um, and the cost of one container, one sea container, sea a refrigerated container went from 12,000 U.S. to 45,000 U.S. Wow. Yeah. And that I'm sure Patrick knows all about that. So, there's a lot of companies now it's come back, right? It was, this was only for like eight, the last 18 months. Okay. Patrick, how about
3: you? Yeah. Well, Sammy, let's go back to what you started talking about and waiting on the cars and the thing that hits me the most is if you build it, they will come. And look at what we're seeing with Tesla. Look at what we're seeing with Ford, look what we're seeing with Hyundai. There's great products coming out. Yeah. And that's what's been the gap in the past. Nobody knew if this is going to come. I think we're still in that transition period. How's Carmine going to get orders from major players? Because they don't know if the market is there. But that's the thing that's been changing. That's the thing that's actually the most exciting that's coming. If you bring the product, the products are really going to go. I've started seeing Ford Lightnings driving around. So if you bring the product, Other people are going to come to it, but now coming back to the supply chain. So actually I am the supply, the supplier in the supply chain. And so what we see here is the issues are that you need the customer to take it forward or to ask for this. So now there's more demand. So the customers may be asking for this, but if the customer isn't really asking for it, it's so hard to get traction because. If we're working on transmissions, so wouldn't you think that the suppliers that make transmissions today, the big players today, and then the tier twos, the people that just machine gears, the tier threes that stamp a little plate, don't you think their world is going to end? They're going away from transmissions. But what happens is that they only work to what's being asked for. So if there's no RFQ, for a different type of transmission, then they're not going to work on it. Because where's the money? Where's the business case? Where's the product? And those are the challenges that you have to start to work through. And going back to what Arthur mentioned, okay, we've got a lot of minerals in Canada, Ontario specifically. We also have a huge manufacturing base that could be utilized. And so what we're seeing here in Inmota, because or in a transmission space, there's a huge manufacturing capability here, just in Ontario that could support this. But because there's no RFQ, there's no traditional business case, it could end up dying or end up withering on the vine. So as a supplier now, you need to really make those connections. So what Carmine said, you have to do it on the opposite side. You have to make those connections to say, hey, here's what we could do in a different space. Another opportunity that we've seen too in the manufacturing side is that if you look at ICE vehicles, traditional gas vehicles, they're not going to go away completely. And what you see in the industry, the latest news is that I think that the Renault group is spinning off some of their traditional ICE engineering or ICE manufacturing capability over into the Geely group. They've got, they're going to gobble this all up consolidate the engine manufacturing into a few engines and just take that over and just ride that into the sunset. We also see, um, that there was a Borg Warner bought the older assets, not the new electrification assets, but the older ice kind of assets of the the previous Delphi. So there's, they're positioning themselves to ride out the ice version into the, out into the sunset. And there lie opportunities. The old Pony Express, you know, it's ending. The railroad is going to change everything, but the railroad's going to. took a long time to make, and ice vehicles are going to be around here for a long time too. So there is an opportunity, but there's. But you have to, as Carmine said, as a supplier, you need to really make those make those connections and position yourself to be able to support those things. Because nobody's going if they're not asking for them. You have to go out and try and take it. And that's what we're living here at Emotive on a daily basis.
0: Yeah. I think we've lost Carmine here. I don't know where he's. He ran out of power. He ran out of power. Hopefully he comes back on. Yeah, that's very interesting. I mean, I was just reading an article on, on Tesla where uh, Tesla is the dominant EV car in the market today. And they still control up to 70%, but they're predicting, like literally in two more years, they're going to be down to 20% of the market. There's everybody is now, as we can see is coming out with the, with the EV vehicles and some really great vehicles. One of the next questions I want to just talk to you about is what are the, so what are the data security issues that occur around this EV market? So for instance, and I wish Carmi was back on here. I don't know what happened, but like, for instance, if you go charge at one of the e-camion stations. What are they doing to protect the data security? Even for uh, for Emotive, you're going to have to have some type of data security around not only your technology, because it's going to be embedded in the car. Uh, I'm, uh, I'm hearing things like people can sit beside a Tesla and record you opening your car, and it's the same signal, and then they go and they have the recording, and then they go and steal the car effectively. So, I mean, what's happening around that? Arthur, you want to? Start there and tell me if you see anything that's happening around that.
1: Yeah. And I think that goes without saying, not only from like a, at, on on the vehicle, I think from the manufacturing side as well, we're starting to see everything become more connected, right? From like industrial IOT as well as more connected, autonomous, not so much autonomous yet, but like connected vehicles and the technology with inside the vehicle becoming more connected. So from an engine perspective, we support a lot of collaborative R&D, automotive sector, and we're starting to see more and more kind of desire, not only from the government, from the industry side, to tap into the cybersecurity space, right. And looking at how they can be part of that, that collaborative R&D project. And right? I think that that's a key solution that has been missing over the past decade. And I think we're starting to see more of that interest in bringing that player in. So, um, yeah, I think it's definitely something that that's becoming more, more important to consider when putting together, when developing novel innovation. Okay. What about you, Patrick?
3: Yeah, well, we do. You're right. We do have, we're a mechatronic device or software that has to be embedded into the vehicle. And in our space, it's really our IP. So how do we protect our IP? How do we protect it against competitors? And some of the thoughts that we put around here is that you're never going to be able to stop some of these things. There's always a way that you can get around it. There was actually just a story I read yesterday that I think researchers were able to exploit a problem in cell phone apps that went and they were able to steal a vehicle through another way Yeah, uh, yet again. And so uh, also where is the data? And you look at Tesla's now, and part of the, if you've ever been in a Tesla is that it's really a cell phone on wheels and it's connected to your life. Yeah. Now there's going to be an option that they're rolling out already, but it's, you just tap something on the screen. And you can change, and, and now that's your new insurance provider because they know all of your data and you can get a cheaper rate. And you just tap it on your screen in your Tesla and you've just changed your car insurance, right? But where's all that data going? Yes. But the issues is that it makes your daily life better. So we're opting in. And when you opt in, you're kind of giving permission. And I wonder, just following the industry, that we're going to get to a certain point where now government may step in and start to regulate it a little bit more, just like what we see with the bigger tech behemoths today, such as like Amazon and Facebook uh, and others, if that's what the, maybe the future holds for all of this data in the automotive EV space.
0: Yeah. Yeah. What are some of the challenges you're seeing out there right now and Maybe not necessarily eCamion or, or Arthur, that you see entrepreneurs can fill the spot. What are you seeing? What sectors? Arthur, why don't we we'll start with you?
1: Sure. Are you, are, you, are you referring to challenges faced by startups? I could have been yeah, there. challenges that are Look, there are gaps that
0: are not being filled here by Canadian entrepreneurs. What are those sectors that can be filled to feed into this kind of vertical of electric vehicles?
1: Yeah, I, as I mentioned before, there's certainly, i mentioned like looking at the electric vehicle supply chain all the way from the mine to the factory. Yeah. I and mean, I think like we we do have some pieces of the puzzle in place and, and, and but that's not all there, right? And to Carmine's point, like for instance, like that we don't have a lot of capabilities here in Canada to process and refine the raw materials that we extract from the ground, right? We have the materials, but how do we bring it and where, where, we're, we're, in, what's it going to take to do that? Absolutely. And I think actually brought up a great point about kind of market awareness by entrepreneurs, right? Understanding where the opportunities are along the supply chain, understanding who the decision makers are, right. To tap into, to those relationships, right. And understanding what the consumer is demanding. So I think from an engine perspective, we play that role as a convener in in the ecosystem, right. And time and time again, we always hear like, oh, you know, I would have never thought about collaborating with this company or collaborating with that company. If engine hadn't brought everyone together, whether it be through like simple matchmaking or through collaborative R&D funding, you just need that person to be that catalyst. Right. At time, again, I've seen the tier one manufacturers and OEMs open to understand, like exploring the innovations that could help their kind of capability, their product, product lines or also in their manufacturing. capabilities, right. So there is that appetite for collaboration and partnership. And that's certainly uh, uh, a Canada worth. We have all, needless to say, a lot of the world-leading kind of innovations in this sector comes from our universities and comes from our startups. Yeah. Yeah. What about you, Patrick? Yeah, I see two steps to this. And so when we go
3: through funding, as Carmine mentioned earlier, funding is really critical because it takes a lot of effort to take an idea and move it to the next level and then get it to get it into being mass produced, right? So if we go now to Arthur and we try to get a grant, an engine grant, or it could be any other type of grant, the gap that's there is to go along with that application, you have to have a customer and that customer who's committed to using your product. So science projects are just not really supported anywhere and you can understand why because where's the business case but then as it filters down into as for canadians where are the canadian jobs to to work in canada on your idea and so you have to get that customer you need that production support or end goal and then going back to what i was saying earlier the second part of that is that customer needs to see the the business case that they have and then in some ways you say, issue the RFQ or in a funding grant perspective, offer that support and they'll sign on and support a grant for funding that the government would then love. So there's two, two places you have to go. So let's say in an EV world over the past 10 years, there just really wasn't that there. The, 10 years ago, people said, it'll never catch on. It's just too expensive. Cars will never reach parity. Now look at where we are now. They are on their way to reaching parity, but even aside from that, customers are willing to spend more money on EVs because they're amazing vehicles and they're an amazing product. So now we are on our way. So I think that opportunities are opening up where more of the customers will be willing to support funding, but the funding is critical.
0: Okay, so I mean, so the la- I'm going to ask you one more question, Patrick, and that is, what are the, some of the challenges that InMotive has faced as in their journey to now? Yeah. how long how- has InMotive been around? Ten years.
3: Yeah, that's right. Ten years. I actually started in in industrial, but then moved our way and pivoted into automotive, just because it's a much more direct and more beneficial use of our technology. But what I just mentioned is what we've lived. So those are some of the challenges that we had. But the other challenge that we had is that people just didn't believe what we were selling. Here we have this concept and we're saying, why don't you fund us? Why don't you support funding or support a grant application? Because look what we could do. And here's how we have it all planned out and how the mathematics work and how the simulations work, these kinds of things. But what the challenges were for us is, and that many startups face is, well, we just don't believe you. We really need to see it work first. Yeah. And therein lies the problem. That's the chasm you have to cross, the startup chasm that you have to get across, and you can either jump over the chasm, or you can build a bridge. Building a bridge is more secure, but it takes a lot of money to do it, or you need to try and take that leap. And th- those are the challenges. And actually, we had to, as Carmen mentioned earlier, You just need to survive. And so we've been able to, here at Emotive, survive to the point, but actually make improvements to the point where we could answer the things that they were asking. So now we've got a running, driving vehicle that proves the claims we made. And so now there's the interest coming back to say, we didn't believe you before, we really had to see it. Well, now we see it. Oh, I didn't think you could do this. Yeah. Oh, here's where I just didn't have the time to look at it, or I just didn't understand. Now they can see it. But that is very difficult because to get there without the funding to be able to get you to that point, you may just run out of money or the idea may just die, or you may not just get enough excitement around it and it'll fizzle out. And so those are the challenges that Inmotive has had. Okay.
0: That's great to know. I mean, I think, I guess even going forward, you always have to continue to raise capital. And then once you're over that threshold of creating positive cash flow and you're on your way, then, you know, a little bit of the stress is off you. But until then, there's always some type of stress there, but it's all good stress. You're moving in the right direction. So I think (laughs) it's all good stress. So, But you have to make sure that you are focused
3: because you can't build three bridges. Because one of those bridges, or if you're building the wrong bridge, because you're not going to get to what gets to market adoption. So back to what we talked about before, as a supplier, a new idea, or a startup founder, you have to identify who that customer is. And are you meeting exactly what they need? Yeah. Because if you're a little bit off or talking to the wrong group, a lot of people could just say no. But there's only a few that can say yes you have to find those people and those are the ones that will champion you be your champions going forward yeah
0: well look i've already gone over time here but i could keep talking about this to with you all afternoon i love this topic i want to thank all of you for coming on and taking the time to come on and i hope to have you guys back on again at the new year i hope you'll come back on at the new year okay so from me, happy holidays, and have a wonderful weekend. Thanks, Henry. Arthur, thank you, Patrick. Okay. Thank take care. Okay. okay. See you. bye Bye-bye. And that's it from us. Have a wonderful weekend, and tune in again next Friday for another edition of uh-huh. Tech Uncensored. I don't take care. Yeah, bye-bye. Tekken Censored, an altitude
2: accelerator podcast, does not constitute a recommendation for any organization, product,
3: or service. It's produced and distributed by Bluemex. For more Tekken Censored content subscribe where you get your podcasts and visit Bluemex.io to join us on Discord.